All right, cool. All right. Welcome to the very first episode, the inaugural episode of Defend Pod Punk. I am Mitch Mitchell, a.k.a. at Leonard Swimmer, a.k.a. Big Kesha fan. And with me here is... Uh, I'm Bobby, um, at booby underscore styles on the website Twitter. The worst website in the history of... uh, the internet that we love dearly <laughs> that i can never stop using so if you're listening to this you probably already know who we are but uh, i figure we might as well you know start out with a little bit of an introduction so just based on the whole content of this there's kind of a tripartite role so let's talk about just kind of a brief biography tripartite, jesus um just diving right in huh oh yeah can you tell i went to grad school <laughs> let's just kind of give our personal background, a little bit of biography, um, maybe a little bit about uh, how we got on Twitter, and then, facts we're starting with music, our, a history of our music taste. Yeah, sound sounds good? good to me. Right, so, um, yeah, let's start off. So, tell me about your, get a little, a little bio. Alright, um, so... I know that this section will be a lot more interesting for you because you um, have a much longer history of being extremely online than I do. Um, (laughs) I mean, I just did the very typical, normal social media progression from um, AIM profiles and extended profiles to uh, MySpace, to Facebook, um, to Twitter. Um, I was just on Facebook way too much, and then I hated Twitter. (laughs) I was just like, who... It's you have to be so narcissistic to think that people would care this much about what you're doing like at all times of the day. And then I slowly realized that I am exactly that narcissistic. So um, <laughs> luckily there's, there's a website for me. Um, and I just used it like your average person for a couple of years, um, just with people that I knew in real life following celebrities and then slowly starting with like Dragonfly Jones and Boss Sauce. Um, Mm-hmm. Your your good friend, Boss Sauce. Um, <laughs> Close personal friend. Starting to get more and more into the uh, nitty-gritty of the online Twitter world. And then followed our friend, uh, the dearly departed Tom Bro dude. And from there, just started meeting more and more people. And getting my brain more and more rotted. So, <laughs> so uh, what's your story, Mitch? <laughs> so, man, uh, you, uh, you mentioned Tom, like... Last night, my, my iPhone, it gave me a notification, a new memory has been created. I don't know if, if your phone has uh, made any memories for you, but it made like this animated video out of the, the weekend I went to uh. Philly. And literally the fucking closing shot was like a zoom out centered around Tom's face. I was just like, what the fuck, man? Jesus. That's rough, yeah. Fuck you, Steve Jobs. That's that's every day on Facebook, yeah, except um, instead of daily departed friends, <laughs> it's just embarrassing opinions and jokes that I made with the Facebook flashback <laughs> feature. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, so I guess my, uh, my online uh, history, really I started like going into um, AIM chat rooms. Like I was a, a regular in the Metallica chat. So actually, I was um, pretty pretty good friends with a guy who ended up becoming like a weird Twitter superstar, uh, at Deg D E G G. He is the one who did like the crests up a hill. Yeah, hey dudes I, I know Deg. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I uh, 
Yeah, that was kind of where I guess cut my teeth and it got kind of used to the whole interaction style and got kind of used to the idea of like being cordial with people online and uh, kind of kind of continued on with that kind of shit, posted on like a few forums for a bit. I joined Twitter pretty early on, like 2009, but I actually, from that point on, I have a kind of similar history to you in that I didn't really do it for anything interesting. I just posted the most vapid shit, like the football game is on, I hope the Jayhawks win. Dude, I win. used so many fucking hashtags um, for so many years. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. So fucking it's, embarrassing. It's, it's really embarrassing. So embarrassing. Oh, my God. I see people that still do it, and I'm just like, I wish, I almost wish that I was, yeah, like, as yeah, innocent I, as you. Yeah, exactly. Um, really, my one point of redemption is that I discovered Little B really early on because um, I followed uh, Nas from Coke. Uh, do you ever read Cooking Blunts? <laughs> what is Cooking Blunts? Oh, it's this um, blog that pretty much shaped my taste in hip-hop, or my mo- my contemporary taste in hip-hop. But yeah, that guy pushed Little B very early on, and I followed Little B, and he actually he extended a blessing to me on Twitter in like 2010 wow. or some shit like that. So that's like the one point of redemption that I have. But yeah, um... I, even though, yeah, I was an early adopter, didn't really embrace it for a while until really, I think it was in grad school. Like, this would be like 2012 to 2014. Literally, uh, a, a guy who um, had been in the frat I was in an undergrad with told me to follow Boss Sauce, and I did. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's fucking hilarious. And that kind of gave me... Um, an insight into kind of the idea of actually using Twitter not as just like like how I previously used it, but using it as an avenue to make jokes and to riff on things. And you know, after following Boss, um, I followed I think like Slimmy Hendrix, what Trey was the right. next person that I followed. And this it kind of grew from there. You know, it, it um the kind of interesting thing about it is that you know shit just grows yeah, organically. I- um, you follow one person and then you follow people in their circle and you see them being. Recruited. I can trace mine. Um- lineage sort of similarly from uh dragonfly jones to boss sauce to um Mm -hmm. tyler and coley um to like tom and you guys and everyone else tom like you squid dad and let's take a moment here and say that um this first episode is probably mostly going to be for people that already know us so they'll know what we're talking about for the most part it's not going to be this um inside we're just this is like the first episode um and twitter is obviously a pretty big part of our lives so we just want to lay the groundwork there um and just assure anyone that this it's not gonna it's not gonna be <laughs> this nitty-gritty um and individualistic um for everyone just wanted yeah. as mitch said earlier to give an introduction for sure all right so then um about like uh, outside of that, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Um, like I'm that. from about 30 minutes outside Philadelphia, um, the suburbs. I went to high school um, in, the, in the city, and then I went to Penn State. Um, I still live outside Philadelphia, spend most of my weekends in the city, which I think we'll get to a little bit more when we get to the part um, of the episode where we give our musical lineage in a similar way that we just did for Twitter. Yeah. Um, what about yourself, Mitch? I know Kansas. Yep. The same place where my beloved Joel Embiid plays college ball. 
Um, <laughs> yes, love Joel. I actually met him. Really? Uh, yeah, this was like the summer before his freshman year. Um, I was working at a summer camp um, that was on the University of Kansas campus. And we were doing this like scavenger hunt with our campers. And we went downtown. One of the, the things on scavenger hunt was like, I think this is like some huge points if like you could find a Kansas basketball player. And we found like this group of fucking like five or six players um, at this rest- this um, wing place, Jefferson's. And I uh, got a picture with them. Yeah, it was like Joel Embiid. Um, this is like before anybody knew who he was. So he was there and I can't remember who else, but yeah. That's pretty amazing. You, and you, you just saw him and you had yeah. no idea that he would become the greatest human being to ever walk the face of the earth. Yeah, yeah. You saw him in his nation stage. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'm from Kansas. Uh, I wasn't born there. Uh, I was born in Oakland, California. But my mom moved away when I was uh, two years old. We moved to Lawrence, Kansas. Grew up there. Then in, in high school, I, I got a good scholarship to go to KU. So ended up going to college like five minutes from the house I grew up in. Uh, after I graduated, um, got the hell out, went to grad school uh, at University of Michigan. Michigan is a fun place. Ann Arbor is an incredible town. After that, I didn't really get a job. So I tried doing more grad school outside of Boston. Uh, that fell through. I dropped out and moved to Sacramento where my uh, my parents had moved a bit ago. I've been living in Sacramento the past couple of years and yeah, Sacramento, baby. What the fuck's up? Cool. Yeah, I'll uh, probably never be visiting you. Uh, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm trying to get out of uh, Sacramento when I can. You know, it's it's gen- it, it's legitimately a uh, a very cool city. There's a lot of cool shit happening here, but I, I think ultimately it's just really not for me. You know? Yeah, I mean, you don't hear that much about um, Sacramento, and I know that you have some pretty varied interests <laughs> that I'm assuming aren't all totally met in a city like that. No, for sure. Not, for nothing sure. against Sacramento. No disrespect no to Sacramento. Anyway, so um, now let's just talk a little bit about uh, our musical taste history. All right. Um, do you want to go first here? Yeah, because yeah. Mine, mine leads directly into the exactly. album that you're going to be talking thing. about. And it's kind of nice to vary it up. I mean, I some of the first memories I have of like being into music... Uh, is in like the early to mid nineties. I guess it'd be mid nineties. Um, my my mom was uh, dating a guy who was pretty into kind of the alternative at the time, and so I kind of like got into some of that shit by proxy. Um, in particular, I remember Beck's Odelay album, the one with like that dog on the front. Right, I'm familiar. My brother's a big Beck Beck fan. Yeah, yeah, the Devil's Haircut. Um, all the, all the, I played that shit so much. Like that, um, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Third Eye Blind. I was really into all that kind of stuff. Cool. But yeah, I'd say like the first band that I got like obsessively into was the Beatles. And that was like when I actually kind of researched the band, you know, read about them, found out their backstory, read about what songs meant. Um, from there, it was Led Zeppelin, then Black Sabbath, and then I got into like new metal. Okay. And then it's kind of like from there got into extreme metal. And that was around when I started um, posting in the Metallica chat room. So I just kind of dove headfirst into the 
unctuous, disgusting, fetid sea of extreme metal. Yeah, it seems it seems to me that once you get to um, Led Zeppelin and that sort of stuff, you either sort of plateau or you just dive head first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's the fork in the road that a lot of people reach. Is that I mean, because up to that point, everyone's probably basically done that, got into the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and things like that, and then it's just a decision of whether they want to keep going or if they're pretty satisfied to um, just let music come to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like um, just embracing the, the, the fact that that's going to be your thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, from there, I... Discovered my mom's record collection, and she was a punk in the 80s, so I got into like shit like Minor Threat, uh, Dead Kennedys, uh, some post-punk shit like Gang of Four, uh, Joy Division, The Fall, and got into the whole kind of punk stuff. And later on, got into, into indie, and then I have, I think, probably maybe the most unique origin story for getting into rap okay. in that... Lil B shouted you out, and you decided that <laughs> you had to check out this um, urban hippity hop. Uh, even more, uh, more, more niche. I was already a dedicated socialist, and I was looking up socialist music, and I saw uh, Dead Prez and the Coup listed as socialist rappers, and listened to Dead Prez, and I was like, oh hell yeah. Fucking like this is raps about redistributing the means of production. Hell yeah! And basically, I got into rap through socialism. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you are like one of the original Twitter socialists that, that I'm aware of. Everyone else, either you're one yeah. of the original Twitter socialists uh, that I'm aware of, because I didn't, I didn't follow um, that many people that were all about it. But I remember seeing you post. <laughs> yearbook pictures of yourself in like the communist club or whatever yeah yeah uh i was a founding member of our uh, young socialist club and then you just threw everything being so shitty and ri ridiculous we stumbled into this singular moment of uh like modern american the youth moving that far to the left because they're so disgusted by centrism and um all the shit that's going on in the far right yeah, I mean, if it weren't being accompanied by, like, having almost a literal fascist in the White House, high school me would be so fucking happy about right now. Yeah, that's that's the price. <laughs> All right, uh, how about you? All right, so mine starts off um, pretty similar to yours. I got into uh, more surface-level metal when I was in, like, eighth grade, mm -hmm. just the Guns N' Roses, um... Stuff like that. Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister had a syndicated radio show. Nice. Um, that he played a lot of metal that I listened to at night before I'd go to bed. But starting in like high school, um, specifically when I would start, I started like going to parties. Um, I always wanted to have like the best iPod, <laughs> like that anyone could just pick it up if if it was playing music and like find the thing that they wanted to put on. So that started to become a point of pride for me. And at the same time. My dad had started DJing on the side, like being an event DJ mm -hmm. um, as a way to make extra money to pay for um, my high school and college because um, I went to a private high school. Oh, word. Um, so he had always been into music and that was just a way to sort of monetize it. So I eventually started helping him with that. So that helped me continue even as I started liking more obscure stuff, keeping up with and enjoying um, 
like pop music, like top 40 type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the obsession with having the best iPod continued into um, college, and I would generally be the one at me and my friends' parties that was making the playlist and controlling the music. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got Spotify, which just like sort of opened up a, a lot more music because I wasn't really following um, any music blogs or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. And anything that I heard either was just from Pandora for the six months that I used that or word of mouth or from Facebook or something. But the, the really key moment for me was pretty, um, pretty happenstance. I read an article on Grantland after LaSalle was making a run in the NCAA tournament in maybe 2012, oh, I, I think. I, I know, I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember what year that was, though. Um, I, I think I was in Southwest Philly Floater happened. was the big... The, the Southwest Philly Floater was like the big uh, meme that mm-hmm. people pulled out of it. So one of the players got interviewed. But so... Ian Cohen, who I didn't know who he was at the time, mm-hmm. wrote an article for Grantland about like the underrated Philadelphia like college basketball scene because there's a thing in Philly called the Big Five, yeah, which is St. Joe's, Villanova, LaSalle, um, Temple, and Penn, um, and they have they just play against each other all the time and it's yeah like every year for, right yeah for decades and they have like a big five player of the year big five championship not that it matters all that much especially with schools like villanova being like super nationally prominent <laughs> but he wrote about this and there's a just a throwaway parenthetical about how philadelphia has like a pretty underrated local music scene as well and me being an enormous homer i didn't know about that so we listed um a couple bands that i'd never heard of at the time but i wanted to check them out so it was The War on Drugs, Kurt Vile, um, Waxahachie, one of the side projects of someone in The War on Drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Fucked Up or Piss Jeans, one of them. Oh, P- I, Piss Jeans is so good. I don't really remember which one. So um, I had a thing on, on my laptop that would record songs from Spotify as they were playing. So I downloaded a couple songs from each of them and liked a couple of them. And then I came upon Be Good by Waxahachie. Mm-hmm. And I'd listened to it for two weeks straight, nothing else. And that, from there, I just like started following her on Twitter and finding out the stuff that she was listening to, the people that she was like friends with and their bands. And I went to a concert, um, like my first local house show at a place called the Golden Tea House, uh, which has since been shut down. Um, it was called OK Fest. Me and my brother went. We had no idea what it, where, where it was, what to expect. We basically followed a bunch of kids around that looked like they would be dressed for this sort of show to try to find out where we were supposed <laughs> to be going. <laughs> and they at some point turned around. They were like, do you guys know where Golden Tea House is? We were like, we were just assuming you do. Like, sorry to judge a book <laughs> by its cover. Um, but we got in. And it was like absolutely amazing. As I walked in, Waxahachie, um, Katie Crutchfield, and her twin sister Allison from Swearing at the time, they like walked right past me, and I was like, "What the fuck? Like this is incredible." And we went in the back. They played in the kitchen. Um, it was 
Waxahachie side project with her now ex-boyfriend, I forget what they're called, Radier Hospital, Kaitana, Amanda X, Warriors, and the Ambulers. Hmm. And it was just like amazing. And from there, I just started going to every uh, local house show that I could. The first one that I went to was the record release for the album Nervous Like Me by Kaitana, mm-hmm. actually. At the same place, um, the lead singer, Augusta, walked in with a keg of dogfish head pumpkin nail, brought it out back, gave everyone cups, said she split it with her manager mm-hmm. at the bar she works at. <laughs> and I was just like, I need, to, I need to find out everything I can about this. And so that's, that's sort of how I got into the sort of punk, pop, punk, indie um, local scene in Philadelphia that is so important and influential nationally right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned um, Philadelphia, both like the whole idea of the college basketball scene and the music scene being underrated. I feel like Philadelphia is an underrated city in general, to be honest. Like one of the things that I, kn- I know you're a you're a Chapo listener as well, right? I am. The the episode that they did for the DNC, everybody hits when they kind of talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, when they talk about their reactions to Philly, and I think Matt was doing a uh, a thing about how everyone's like, you know, it's a big pile of shit, but it's our pile of shit. Yeah. And the whole thing of like, um, it's just this massive urban decay, but like instead of like the Midwest where there's just this sense of despair and like we're all going to die here from like a fentanyl overdose or some shit. It's like kind of reveling in it and uh, taking pride in it. Yeah. I haven't done all that much traveling, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. So I can't, I don't have that much firsthand experience of other cities, but just the way that people talk about us and compared to what I see when I'm here, it just doesn't seem like it lines up at all. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is maybe just exactly how it should be for the city's character. Yeah. Um, but I am a fan of Philadelphia. I'm, I'm not afraid to go on the record. <laughs> I've only spent the, the one weekend there, but man, I, I, I really like Philly. So the place that I got cheesesteaks was D'Alessandro's. Yes. What's your take on D'Alessandro's? Um, I've only had it a couple times, but it's amazing. Like, I would, I would rank it up there with the more nationally known ones. And, I mean, everyone in Philly has their own local cheesesteak take that they want to be, like, the, the local that's in the know. Like, I think Pat's is really good. Yeah. To, I'm, I, don't really, I don't really care. I'm not going to be a snob about <laughs> it. That's... I'm, I can be a snob about so many things, like food isn't going to be one of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Del Sanjuro's is awesome. Highly recommend. And yeah, I, I, I loved it. Anyway, so let's uh, transition yeah. on into the actual album segment. All right. Uh, just kind of leading in from Philly into Cayetana. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed this album. You kind of touch on this, but I feel like it occupies the space in between punk and indie, kind of occupying those spheres at the same time interesting it reminded me of japan droids to an extent um i'd say like if i described to one thing i'd call it kind of like the japan droids first album but with less of a um an emphasis on distortion and feedback and more kind of like um pop sen- pop sensibilities sounds like uh an insulting description but i'm using it in a positive sense here yeah i wouldn't I honestly wouldn't take that as an insulting thing. Pop is good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the number one thing that stands out to me is the vocals. Those vocals are fucking amazing. Uh, yeah, Augusta's, Augusta's awesome. Augusta's the name of the vocalist? Yeah, um, actually, funny enough, her, 
she has a half brother named Ian Farmer, mm-hmm. who is the bass guitarist in Modern Baseball. Oh no shit! Who I just Man, there you um, go. saw. I think they're basically pay- playing like a three night farewell set right now in Philadelphia. I saw them on Friday. Oh but, man, that's awesome. So yeah, that's a pretty um, high quality musical family that they got there. <laughs> For real. So what stood out to me at the vocals is that I kind of got this sense of underlying distress or um, concern, you know, uh, or maybe kind of like a little bit of an angst yeah. in them that w- with with the, the tone that she uses for her vocals, like I could hear anything with that tone. It would sound impactful to me. Absolutely. And funny enough, I think that the song that has that the least is the song called um, Busy Brain, one of the last songs on the album, which is the one that most directly gets at like mental health issues and anxiety. And it's just, it's a funny um, contradiction that of all the songs where she really has that, um, that angsty undertone in her voice, that the one that's directly about that would sound a little more listless. I wonder if that's on purpose or not. This is wild, because I was actually literally going to bring that up. Um, that busy brain, despite, I, re- I really like the whole kind of general concept of the lyrics, but yeah, her, her vocals in that and the song in general are very undistressed. Uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I would have to think that that is on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, the contrast between like how happy the lyrics in um, Semi-Charmed Life are, or how happy the tone is and how dark the lyrics are. I'm assuming that this is... Do it, smoking crystal meth, boom, boom. Yeah, like, I know that smoking crystal meth rules, but <laughs> like this is a, a little bit more serious than that, man. But that's, I, in that song, that's the point, and I have to imagine that for Busy Brain, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. So I think my favorite tracks from it were uh, the opener, uh, Serious Things Are Stupid. Yes, great song. And yeah, I'm going to say um, that about every song. <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those just great opening tracks, you know, in that it, it really it, it gives you an idea of what the album is going to sound like and sets the theme. Yes. So I'm just going to go ahead and play it really quick to give some context. Cool. to that second verse with the more kind of pronounced underpinning in it. Yeah, I, that, that was fantastic. Yeah, and uh, my favorite line in that song is the one that's immediately after that little musical moment um, where she says, we're both prone to misery, but but you'll still get drunk and want to hang out with me. Yeah, yeah. I just, that's always like been very affecting to me, whether it's romantic or just about a friendship. Like, I, don't, I can't say, but... <laughs> And pro- I've always liked that. Prone to misery is just a great turn of phrase. Yeah. She has a, a gift for songwriting, I think. For yeah, sure. A relatively rare gift. Um, what are your other standouts? Uh, Hot Dad Calendar. 
that was the song that um, sort of put them on the map. Like, huh. if any of if if any song was the one that was getting buzz before the album came out, um, like that was on the um, demo from like 2012. Okay. So that was that was the one that got the buzz before the album came out, and then after the album came out was um, Scott Get the Van I'm Moving, mm-hmm. um, which isn't one of my favorite songs on the album at all, but. It's still a good song. And I guess I understand why it, is, it would be the one to get the hype. Yeah, for sure. But Hot Dad Calendar is just a fantastic name for a song. Oh, yeah. I mean, song titles is kind of a superficial thing to, um, uh, to value a band for. But, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought they had nice, uh, nice song titles. Yeah. I don't think Hot Dad Calendar really has anything to do with the lyrics of the song. Oh, yeah. But it, um, it, it'll draw your eye and conjure a mental image. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of times um, there's kind of like an inverse correlation between how funny a song title is and its actual relevance to the lyrics for the most part. Like uh, there's this one band, um, Mouse Fitzgerald. The, I've never seen anybody really talk about them. Their song titles are just incredible. They're like God Smack You Black Emperor, um, The Build-A-Bear Group, Michael Sarah Pale in Comparison, Trapaholics Anonymous, Deaf Haven, Connecticut, and they have nothing to do with the lyrics, but they're just fucking hysterical. Wow. It's fantastic. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of um, Dillinger 4, where the, the song title just has absolutely nothing to do with the lyrics. Yeah, it's a big it's, thing with the whole kind of like post-hardcore math rock kind of thing, um, because it's kind of an abstract genre a lot of times. So yeah, there's just a big disconnect between um, lyrics and, uh, and song title, if there are, if there even are lyrics. Yeah. Makes sense. So, in terms of, um, I guess, taking a more critical stance at it, I think, you know, the musical ideas are, they're pretty simple, which isn't bad on its face, you know? But I think that... I will explain why. Okay. Um, after you're done. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to hear your, um, uh, your take on that. Uh, the kind of sentiment that I had was that, you know, if, if you're really, if you're aiming for minimalism as, like, an ideal... And you're really much striving to kind of create a minimalistic sound and a simple sound with a lot of repetition, then I think you need to double down on that and kind of focus on it as a, as a kind of sonic identity as opposed to just kind of having that be a trait of your music. Um, and I, I did notice there were some um, instances of song structure experimentation on the album. Um, some of them worked, some of them didn't. Uh, I think Dirty Laundry, to me, is one where that kind of experimentation wasn't as good. Like, this, the, the synth in it just it sounded a little bit out of place. Interesting. Um, I completely disagree. I was thinking that... That's my favorite song on the album. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Yeah. To me... I like the song as a whole, but I was thinking that, like, if in, instead of that kind of synth tone, um, there was, like, a um, like heavy feedback and like a guitar lead played that uh that synth line over just uh, like a bunch of feedback i thought, thought that would have been really cool hmm. um and south philly is an instance where uh i thought that they use a little bit more of a uh experimental song structure and it worked and the bass really stood out on that one um the guitar it took kind of a less prominent stage and the guitar kind of acted as more of a like kind of a background ambient ambient sound like it wasn't it wasn't shoegaze, but I got kind of a shoegaze vibe from it. 
Right. Let me, let me play a little bit of uh, a South Philly really quick to give some context. All right. To the sound of sirens and you. Again, I'll get into that in a minute. The, 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 the reason that I like Dirty Laundry so much is mm-hmm. that I think that it sort of shows that they're open to expanding their sound a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, it, it just points to the fact that on the next couple records or whatever, they can fill it out a little bit um, and be less minimalist. Um, and it also reminds me of Just Like Heaven by The Cure, which I love. So Okay, yeah. Um, so the reason that they sound so minimalist mm-hmm. is that the band got together in 2011. I think Augusta, the lead singer and guitarist, was at a party with a bunch of other um, punks. Mm-hmm. And she said, like, you know, I, I really wish I could be in a band, but I don't really know how to do anything or play any instruments. <laughs> And someone said, um, well, you should talk to Kelly and Allegra, the drummer and bass guitarist, because they said the exact same thing. So in 2011, none of them knew how to play an instrument. Like, their first band practice was where they first started learning how to play guitar, bass, and drums. And this album came mm-hmm. out in 2014, I think. Okay. So three years later. Huh. So, <laughs> so they're very... A bit of a Joel Embiid situation. Exactly. So they're very much growing... As musicians, I think that Allegra, the bass guitarist, is um, definitely ahead, far ahead of Augusta, who also has to focus on songwriting and singing duties. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think the best songs outside of Dirty Laundry, which we disagree on, are um, <laughs> Mountain Kids and South Philly, because those are both very prominent bass guitar lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, gu- the guitar definitely takes a backseat. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know. It's it's not that like I I disliked South, or disliked Dirty Laundry or I thought it was a bad song. I just he just had an idea of what it could be. Um, yeah, that, yeah. It's, I kind of heard this attempt at it's striving for um, to make the, 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 their song structure uh, different, and I, I appreciated it. But yeah, I just, I just thought that um, it could have been better executed. I guess. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, I'm definitely way too emotionally attached to this album to yeah. have that many criticisms. But I feel that. Um, I, <laughs> there, obviously, I can be objective about stuff like the guitar. Yeah. Um, not like they. It seems as though they don't have any guitar lines at all. Um, <laughs> not necessarily the distortion a bad thing on its head. Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. But the distortion is pretty. 
pretty up on the guitar and the, mm -hmm. the volume's not that loud. So they're aware of this um, sort of hierarchy of musical skill Word. within the band. How, uh, what kind of form does the, the next album take? Because I haven't listened to it yet. Um, the next album is, I haven't listened to it nearly as much, but um, it's sort of another step. Like, it's mm -hmm. nothing that you would say like, wow, this is totally unexpected based on this album. It goes a little bit deeper into um, the mental health stuff okay, that, cool. that Augustus struggles with. Um, they're in between albums, they released an EP um, with a New Order cover. No shit, Which, what song? Um, Age of Consent. Oh, that, that, that's a song that um, the bass and stuff remind me of. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> nice. Okay, so um, let's uh, move on to the Get Up Kids. All right, so the Get Up Kids, um, as I told you um, off air, one of my best friends has been telling me for a year and a half now that I need to listen to the Get Up Kids. <laughs> um, I've always just said, yeah, I'll get to them eventually. I also consistently mix them up with the downtown boys because um, I think their names are pretty similarly constructed so yeah, you have um, prepositions or I guess they're adverbial prepositions uh, in the band name describing and type kids boys types of person yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so I didn't really know what to expect but um, I, I really really liked it um, you are better with um, genre designations than I am so, I, but I know that this um, classifies as emo, so. Yeah, I absolutely call them. The, I guess, I don't want to say if there's controversy over like where they stand because that implies that it's a big deal, but like people have like argued about whether the Get Up Kids are emo or not, but um, the, that first album especially, that's definitely emo to me. Okay. And it's also, I mean, if, you, if you look at like a lot of their, um, their collaborations, I think that an underrated way of kind of looking at the uh, the scene that a band is in, the genre that they might be classified to, is looking at who they collaborate with. And like right before Four Minute Mile, uh, they did a split with Braid, who, uh, you know, Braid, they had like uh, members, they're kind of linked to the, um, the Kinsella Brothers group in, uh, in Champaign-Urbana. And uh, that's that's emo cred right there. Like Kinsella Brothers, that's super like emo cred. But yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, that they would collaborate with mm. the Kinsellas because um, I, I did hear a bunch of the stuff that I classify as emo mm -hmm. based on um, American football being um, one of the more influential bands. The uh, sort of more ornate guitar picking, twinkly guitars. Yeah. Is I've heard twinkly guitars. I never knew exactly what it meant, but yeah, if that's what this is, then yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, and it just seems like it's harder to do, <laughs> or it sounds harder mm -hmm. to do. Um, and they also had it, the lyrical themes that I was picking up on were sort of longing or like mm -hmm. sort of grass is greener or like regret. Um, mm, definitely. Oh, Amy, don't hate me for running away with you. Yeah. Am I asking too much to keep you at arm's length? Um, just like regret being sort of closed off emotionally, things yeah. things of that nature. Um, I was a big fan. the The first couple of times I listened to it, um, 
it seemed like a different track stood out as like the standout track. But I, I really think that the the three song run from Better Half, No Love and Shorty. Yeah. Um and then into the ender, Michelle with one L, um, is really like the standout section of the album. Um I think my my favorite lyric on the album, because it seems to me the most evocative, was on Better Half, where he says, saw my baby boy digging his own hole um, to keep alive family tradition or something like that. And for, I don't know if this was the intention, but it it put me in like 1930s, like a Faulkner novel of just like a kid that huh. is just like has to dig his own grave because that's what the entire family does and he doesn't, yeah, I, I've never, doesn't I've never, know anything else. No, I've never made the comparison, but I can absolutely see it. Again, I could be wrong. <laughs> it could be a completely different, could be a completely different kind of hole. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I'm just not as like musically literate as you are. I don't think so. I don't oh. unfortunately have all that much to say about the music, um, but I, I'll bet you do. <laughs> so if you want to uh, jump in, yeah, no, uh, one thing I, I before thought, you yeah. do that, actually, um, I did do a little bit of research about this. Um, there wasn't that much just on the Wikipedia page, but mm-hmm. I saw that apparently um, the guy from Fallout Boy said that Fallout Boy wouldn't exist without this album. Yeah. So that could be a good or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that um, Fallout Boy actually has uh, like links to like Brutal Hardcore? No, but I'm not surprised. The first time I heard of Fallout Boy was when like my family friend who was a year older than me, probably six months to a year before Sugar We're Going Down Swinging became popular, mm-hmm. sent me a link to their website, and it was mostly acoustic music, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this is really good. And then that came out, and I was like, yo, Bobby, did you hear about, like, did you see that this song is like, huge now he's like yeah they fucking sold out man i was like (laughs) (laughs) it's like aren't you like 11 years old (laughs) you don't have to take it this seriously yet if ever (laughs) oh man but yeah i had no idea i wouldn't have guessed that they had links to like brutal hardcore the drummer uh andy hurley he was in this uh this metalcore band called race trader and so in this sense they were um using race trader in more the ironic sense as opposed to, you know, calling white people race traders for, you know, Nazi reasons. Right. Uh, and he was also, I didn't, I had to pull this up, but he was a guest drummer on um, an EP by this band, Vegan Reich, who, Vegan Reich's whole shtick is they were kind of part of the um, the hardline subculture, which is like, you're familiar with Straight Edge, I assume? Um, yes. Mostly from uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist at first. <laughs> But yes, I've since learned more. So like, um, Hardline, Hardline took Straight Edge and just took it way over the top. So Hardline Straight Edge was like, um, no drinking, no drugs, um, no like casual sex. But Hardline was, um, you can, it, it's strictly vegan, like hence the band name Vegan Reich. Right. You can't have sex except for procreation. So are they like Catholics? Are they just Catholics? More honestly, like some of them took like Islamic influences. <laughs> They're Catholics stuck in a perpetual Lent Friday. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, like, um, <laughs> yeah, they were they were anti-abortion, um, anti uh, anti homosexuality, uh, anti pornography, 
uh, anti-masturbating. I'm out on this scene. Yeah, it's like just like so. Oh, it's just such a bizarre direction to go from from like hardcore punk to be like, yeah, we we believe in like everything has to be as nature wills it. So you can't jack off. My nature wills me to jack off, bitch. Okay, you can <laughs> you can go have wet dreams all you want. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, getting back to Get Up Kids, or getting up to Get Up Kids. Wow. <laughs> well, we're, we're keeping that in. Um, yeah, so the reason that I chose this album, you know, I didn't really know, I couldn't just how to, what to lead with, you know? But since you chose uh, Kaitana as, like, uh, a Philly band, right. uh, as a person from Philly, uh, the Get Up Kids, they are, they're very Kansas. Um, they're from Kansas City, Kansas, uh, Eudora, but... Eudora is like a 30-minute uh, drive from Lawrence, which, as I said, is where I grew up. And all of the band members, for for some time, have lived in Lawrence. Like when they did their their farewell show, it was at the Granada, which is a, a venue in Lawrence. I actually I saw um, I saw Guar there. I saw Animal Collective there. It's, it's like a Lawrence institution. Um, so the Get Up Kids are. People from Lawrence view them as being very deeply tied to uh, our city identity. And like, if you're if you're a kid growing up in Kansas who's into I don't know like alt music, like indie or punk or any shit like that, you know the Get Up Kids and you love the Get Up Kids. Sort of like um, many, like Minnesota or whatever, and in Prince, um, the Hold Steady. Oh yeah, I, I guess I mean I was thinking music in general for Minnesota, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there isn't really a lot of interesting shit happening in Kansas, so we kind of cling to what we do have. And yeah, the Get It Kids are just uh, so so central. I feel to growing up there. That yeah, that first album, um, Four Minute Mile, is probably my favorite from theirs. The, I'm not sure if you saw this when, when you were looking it up, but when they recorded it, the drummer was actually in high school. And yeah, I did see that. That was that made me feel real <laughs> shitty. At the um, at the modern baseball concert, one of the openers was a girl named Harmony Woods, and she's 18, I think. And I uh, also saw Waxahachie a couple months mm-hmm. back, and they had Snail Mail open, and the girl from Snail Mail is 17, I think. So it's just like, wow, these monumentally talented people are all over the place and i'm working a shitty desk job for <laughs> a company that's most famous right now because the ceo is feuding with bitcoin oh hell yeah <laughs> but yeah um that's just pretty incredible that mm-hmm. um i don't i don't notice drums that much to be honest is he like a, a very good drummer on this album honestly um off the top of my head i couldn't uh call him the drum so let's let's load up a uh, let's load up a track and uh make an evaluation of that since we talked a little bit about the, the twinkly um, twinkly guitar thing, I think that one of the songs that kind of shows that is uh, Stay Gold Pony Boy. Yes, I love that one. And before we listen to this, can I um, give my mm-hmm. conspiracy theory, which is not really a conspiracy theory? Yeah. So I think, I'm assuming, and I don't want to know if I'm wrong, that the reason that this album is called four minute mile and has track runners on the cover is that pony boy from the outsiders talks a lot about how he's like a basically a track star on the high school team oh yeah so i'm assuming that that uh very much influenced them 
to have the, the track imagery and the, the track terminology. That's canon. That's canon now? Okay, that's true. We'll, nev- we'll, yeah, we'll never canon. ask them about it, and they've never said it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stay gold, pony boy. Actually, yeah, the chugging. That actually um, kind of reminds me a little bit of that moment in that the first song of the Kaitana album, "Serious Things Are Stupid," where after you know they go into that second verse with uh, the, with the riff underneath it, they kind of draw parallels. Yeah, when you when you were playing that, it, it actually occurred to me as well that like, oh wow, this the thing that's about to happen is actually really similar to what you pointed out. So. Um, what's your overall, I guess, takeaway of, uh, of the album? Um, my overall takeaway of the album is that if I didn't want to spoil this conversation about what you might say about their future by listening to the next album, then I would have listened to a lot of the next albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been similar to you, um, similar to a lot of people, getting a little bit more into emo recently, um, mm-hmm. not even really knowing that that was what it was called. Like, I've listened... One of my favorite albums of this year is um, the Oso Oso. Um, so that this sort of reminded me of that a little bit more musically intricate and slow at, at port at parts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was a big fan. I'm definitely gonna my my friend that had been t- telling me to listen to them said that their next album is their best album. So you you seem to be of the opinion that this is their best. But regardless, I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I. I actually think that um, my favorite stuff from them is uh, is on their EPs, actually. Um, oh, they're one of those bands? <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, I don't know. I, I really, really like this debut, but they have two EPs. There's one. Um, I've heard that about Tiger's Jaw and mm-hmm. I think Piss Jeans as well. Yeah, I, I, I can see that with Piss Jeans, definitely. But yeah, the Get Up Kids, they have two EPs in particular. There's um, Woodson, which has another an amazing uh, song title, A New Found Interest in Massachusetts, which just like, just the Sounds sound like of it. Sounds like a song title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just such a fucking emo turn of phrase. And uh, Red Letter Day is a really good one, too. 
But yeah, I mean. All right, I'll have to check them out. The next one, something to write home about. It's definitely their most well-known one. And it's the one that kind of like spiraled them to mass appeal. I think that okay. I mean, it's a great album and it was like what got me into them. But it's they definitely go further away from the punk sound and the kind of that kind of raw undertones to being a bit more um, a bit more poppy. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I would say that um, yeah, Four Minute Miles is their best album, but yeah, I think it's it just... Okay, uh, that's not a surprising progression for a band to make. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like it almost always starts off that way. Yeah. Um, Spoon, Spoon is the first one that's coming to mind for me mm-hmm. um, for that, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to listen to more of their stuff after this one. For sure. All right, um, now... Have you listened to any of the new music that's come out in the last week or two? Any of the stuff that came out on this past Friday? Um, uh, what was it, the 12th, 13th, whatever? Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I haven't, not really, no. Um, you know, for a while this year, I've been kind of making an emphasis of checking out new music, and that, that kind of kind of fell out on that. Yeah, um, there's a lot. Part of it was I actually started started listening to podcasts which i hadn't really done before and kind of dividing a lot of my time to wow. specifically to <laughs> what a fast um, turnaround <laughs> right to, to uh, the the white man's privilege <laughs> the white bearded man's calling and curse <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you know when um like salmons uh get the the impulse to to mate and to ha- and to, to respawn or whatever and they do that like swim upstream that was me finding out and finally getting into podcasts i discovered my <laughs> biological impulses yeah it makes sense and now here we are yeah thank, thank god you did <laughs> yeah so I, i've been kind of trying to get back and check out new music the one new thing that i did check out recently i don't think it was put out this past friday but i think it came out this past week was this ep from this uh this screamo band that i really like letters to catalonia I've heard of them they did this split last year with this Japanese band Alil that just blew me away, and I re- so I really like them a lot. Um, they have very leftist lyrics. I, Letters to Catalonia is kind of a giveaway uh, for the whole kind of leftist uh, leftist themes. Of course. But I listened to that. Um, it's a preview of what they said. They're the tracks that are going to be on an upcoming album that should be released soon. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, apart from that, I haven't really um, was up to date. What about you? Um, yeah, I listened to a bunch of the stuff that came out on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the biggest release, that's, at least as far as I saw, was the St. Vincent album, which I listened to. She's, she's an artist that I have listened to a bunch of times because I, people that love her love her so much. Yeah. And I just generally don't. It just doesn't hit my ear right, like, yeah. which I think is part of the appeal of her. That makes sense. But um, she's sort of syncopated. Kind of polarizing. Yeah. A lot of the, the rhythms and stuff are syncopated, mm-hmm. and I prefer more straightforward, um, traditional yeah. stuff, which is whatever. It's a, it's a preference. I would say the same thing about Animal Collective. Yeah. Um, I've just listened to them a bunch of times. I'm open to acknowledging that they're very good while not really enjoying them all that much. Hmm. But um, the, the new St. Vincent album I thought was more accessible and was really good. And even St. Vincent fans seem to also think, St. Vincent fans seem to also think that it's really good, meaning that it's, it's not, oh. 
accessible in a bad way or a watered down way. It's accessible in a, in a way that's good. Yeah, it finds that golden mean between finding accessible sound and quote unquote selling out. Exactly. So that was really good. And um, nice. The Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett collaboration came out, which was really good. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like the best of either of them, but they're both awesome and. They uh, they mesh really well together. Just their like slacker weirdo vibes, kind of. Yeah. And on the m- way more obscure side of things, um, a guy named Roger Harvey, who is I believe dating Anika Pyle, late of Chumped, now of Katie Allen. Oh, okay. Um, his second album came out to Coyotes. His first one. Um, came out a couple of years ago. It was called Seven Houses, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my favorite of the year. It got not that much acclaim, so I don't know if that's a good opinion or not. And this new one <laughs> is uh, also really good. So I'd recommend anyone anyone that likes... It's maybe a little more classic rocky. This one is um, has slide guitars and stuff, so it, it's, it leans a little bit country. Um, okay. Not quite what you'd expect from someone that is prominent among the Philly punk scene and dating <laughs> someone from Chumped, but um, it's really good, and I would uh, recommend listening to all three of those albums. For sure. All right. Um, sounds like we're wrapping up. Um, do you have an album for me to listen to next week? Or um, Yeah, I, I was just thinking about that. Do you have ones to look at? Um, I thought about it a little bit. I'm gonna say, have you? How many times have you listened to the debut Kid Cudi album? I actually don't think I've ever listened to it. All right, I'm gonna say that one. Okay. That that might be a little bit more interesting discussion. For sure. Um, have you uh, have you listened to have you listened to much stuff by the fall? I've never listened to anything by the fall. All right. Um, let me choose. I'm going to say grotesque after the gram. Okay, cool. All right. I should note that um, the, the version of it on Spotify starts off with four songs that are taken from singles that came out around that time. So because I am a fucking huge-ass nerd who is obsessed with canon, I'd say that you want to start with um, the version that was actually released. So the first song on that was Pay Your Rates, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, I'll listen to it. Starting there a bunch of times and then listen to the singles as well just to get an <laughs> idea of what was going on leading up to it Yeah, actually and some of the songs the singles are amazing, but yeah, I, I I'm super neurotic about like music organization. Yeah, anyway, no, absolutely. Yeah, the fall versus Kid Cudi <laughs> That should be that should be an episode All right, man. All right. Well, yeah, thanks for um Thanks for having this talk. Thanks for starting this up. And to our listeners, thank you for sticking around, hearing two dumbasses blather on about shit that doesn't matter. Yeah, thanks Thanks for listening, guys. Um, like we said, um, most of you that are listening to this um, know either me or, me or Mitch. I can't imagine why you would be listening to it otherwise, <laughs> unless you're an enormous Get Up Kids or Kayatana fan. But um, we're not going to be so granular with the Twitter stuff. Um, next time, we'll probably just talk about more about what's actually happening yeah. um, in the world since we won't have as much background to get through. But thanks for sticking with us. Um, we've been Defend Podpunk. Defend Podpunk. Um, like, subs- like, subscribe. 
retweet. We, we don't have any of these things set up yet, but hopefully we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for rocking with us, guys. Thank you very much. Keep on rocking in the free world. I'll talk to you next week, Mitch. Likewise. Peace. See ya.